was a little unexpected for me. And crafting the first sentence of it this week was really one of the hardest things that I've tried to do here recently because over the last nine days, like many of you, my heart, my mind has uh, been caught up in so much of what we are watching and hearing about coming out of the, the Middle East, specifically Israel right now. And if you've been around Grace Life for some time, I think you know that and I don't often bring current events uh, to the pulpit here. We, we try to do that very carefully and very discerningly. Uh, and over the years, as a church family, together we've navigated through some pretty significant moments uh, in our lives and in society. It's crazy that my ministry began here way back during the Clinton administration. So we walked through this thing called Y2K together and and 9-11 and the rise of high-speed internet and the smartphone and the war on terror and the great recession and our church being hit by a tornado and a pandemic and social unrest, just to name a few of the things that have happened over the last 25 years of our lives together, but I am not sure that we haven't faced a more important current event than what's happening right now, today, this very minute, over in Israel. We've been in the book of Matthew in a series called Different. We started that late last year. We've only made it to chapter 13. And I just really felt impressed from the Lord since this has started in Israel that uh, he would have me sort of pause where we are in Matthew at chapter 13 and fast forward to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25. It just sort of seemed to be in Matthew 13 and teaching through the parables of Jesus when everything is happening around us sort of seemed like a disconnect. And so I hear you turn into Matthew 24 and 25, and I'm really glad you are. That's such an important passage in our Bible. It's, it's been called historically the Olivet Discourse. It's really a private sermon kind of between Jesus and his disciples, uh, but maybe a more clear name for what it is that he's communicating in chapter 24 and 25 is the last days. It's the last days according to Jesus. And I do believe that we're in the last days. I didn't start believing that nine days ago. I think you know that I've been believing that we're in the last days for some time. At the very least, every time we take the Lord's Supper, I try to remind you of just how convinced I am that we are living in the last days. I do, however, believe that even more today than perhaps I've ever believed that before. All of the Bible's prophecy revolves around one nation, and that's the nation of Israel. It's a, it's a small nation. It's really about the size of New Jersey. I was just there with some of you, about 32 of us were there back at the last week of March in the first couple of days of April, and you can literally drive through the entire nation in a day's time. It's small geographically, and it's small in population. A mere nine million people live in that tiny little nation. Compared to the nation I was in just two weeks ago of 1.4 billion 
people. Think of that. Nine million compared to that. There's eight billion plus people in our world today. Only nine million of them are citizens of the nation of Israel. Among the world's population, the population of the nations, the nation of Israel ranks 98th in population. Just ahead of the nation of Togo. Very few, if any of you, even know where Togo is. And yet, when is the last time you heard Togo mentioned in our news? And yet, this nation of Israel, who is the same size as Togo, finds itself consistently on the center of the world stage. What their population would look like proportionally in this room, there's 900 seats in here. If you gave each nation the right proportion of seats in this room, the nation of India would have 159 of these seats here today. The nation of China would have 158 of these seats in this room today. The United States would take up 38 seats in this room today. The nation of Israel would get one. Just one seat in this room. This tiny, small little country and yet we find it again today on the center of the stage in human events. Why is that? Why in the world is that the case? Don't you think today that it's interesting that the country who is at the center of everything the Bible is about in the year 2023 is at the center of our news today? That's all that's being talked about, and rightfully so. And not only is Israel strangely at the center of this world stage, but by all kinds of human logic, this nation shouldn't even be in existence. It shouldn't even be here. This nation only operated as a sovereign, unified nation for a grand total of 165 years. And that was under King Saul and King David and King Solomon. It was 2,000 years ago after the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Persians and the Greeks and then the Romans 2,000 years ago in 70 AD that the Jewish people were banished from their homeland and they were dispersed all over the world, which means this, for the last 2,000 years, this people group, they had no home. They had no defense. They had no defender. They had no one to stand and to advocate for them. For 2,000 years, they were people without a country. And as you know, over the course of those years, anti-Semitism, hatred of the Jewish people rose again and again. Even efforts to completely remove them from the face of the earth has been expressed consistently throughout human history and sadly and ashamedly sometimes even in the name of Jesus. You have to look no further than the Spanish Inquisition of the 1500s where many of the Jewish people were murdered or they were removed by force from Spain, not because they had done anything in particular, simply because of their ethnicity. And their mistreatment was spread all across the continent of Europe. 
In the 1800s and early 1900s, there were the pogroms where 100,000 or more Jewish people were slaughtered. They were blamed for the smallest thing that went wrong in their society. And of course, most famously is the Holocaust that happened in some of your lifetime, just a mere 80 years ago, when millions of Jews were gathered up and were sent to extermination camps. And it didn't happen just in Germany. It was all throughout Europe. When I was in Ukraine, I visited a mass burial site. Where Jewish men and women and children were buried. Six million Jews died in the Holocaust. Some who experienced the Holocaust are still living today. One of those is a, a lady, a grandmother, a mom, who was taken as a hostage just one week ago by Hamas. Over all these years, there's not been anybody to speak for these people, nobody to defend these people. They've had no home of their own, no government of their own, no military of their own, no police force of their own, and yet... Somehow, miraculously, they were reborn as a nation after nearly 2,000 years, resurrected, if you will, as a nation on May the 14th, 1948. And I say that's a miracle because I believe it is a miracle. In fact, I believe that particular day was prophesied in the Bible Nearly 2,700 years ago by the prophet Isaiah. Let me show you. Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 7. says, before she was in labor, she gave birth. This wasn't expected, in other words. This sort of came out of nowhere. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? <laughs> Who has seen such things? Watch this. Shall a land be born in a day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. For thousands of years, the land of Israel had been in the hands of various empires, from Babylon to the Greeks to the Romans, eventually to the Ottomans, and finally to the British Empire. It was in 1917, a little over 100 years ago, that the Balfour Declaration transferred rule of the Middle Eastern region known as Palestine from the Ottoman Empire to the British Empire. To do that was to mean that they were looking to make that a, a home for the Jewish people. And between 1917 and 1948, that part of the world, Palestine, was inhabited by an influx of Jewish immigrants, but also Arabs and Christians who occupied the land. In 1948, on the heels of six million Jewish people being murdered in the Holocaust, the Balfour Declaration was scheduled to come to an end. There was the question now about what will happen to this 
piece of land in the Middle, of East, the Middle East when it's no longer under British control. And so the question of what to do with that small piece of land was handed over to the United Nations, who would eventually decide to create the Jewish state of Israel, to make it a homeland for the Jewish people. And so May 14th, 1948, that's exactly what happened. Israel was born in a day, just like Isaiah had prophesied 2,700 years earlier. In a single moment, the prophet said, who has ever heard of anything like that happening? And I'm thankful to say the first nation that recognized Israel as a nation was the United States of America under President Truman. Listen, if the world couldn't hear God's prophetic clock ticking before May 14, 1948, surely to goodness, we started hearing that prophetic clock start ticking then. Now, no sooner had Israel been officially recognized by the world as an independent nation, they found themselves in a war against Egypt to the south, Jordan to the east, Libya, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq to the north. And this is called the 1948 Arab-Israeli War or Israel's War for Independence. And Israel, even though they were a baby nation, overnight they were a mighty force. They did quite well in that war. In fact, we'll put this up on the screen so you can see a map of this. At the end of that war... Egypt was given control of a small piece of land in the southern part of Israel called the Gaza Strip. You can see that there on the map. And the country of Jordan was given an area of land that's known as the West Bank. And you can see that just to the east of Jerusalem. It's estimated that when that war in 1948 ended that some 700,000 Arabs were displaced from their homes. Many of them settled in the Gaza Strip. Today, many of the two million people that live in the Gaza Strip are descendants of the Arabs, Arab people who settled in that place after Israel's war for independence. After that war, tensions remained in the region, resulting in another war in 1967 called the Six-Day War. In this war, Israel quickly and soundly defeated Egypt in the south, Jordan to the east, and Syria to the north. It was truly a victory of biblical proportions. In less than a week, this 19-year-old nation had captured the Sinai Peninsula and the Gaza Strip from Egypt. They captured East Jerusalem and the West Bank from Jordan, and they captured the Golan Heights up in the northern part of the country from Syria. Fast forward to the 1990s, Israel began to negotiate with the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip and the West Bank to try to develop a plan to gradually extend self-government to the Palestinians in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. The Palestinians, however, were divided really over two political groups, you might say, Hamas and Fatah. They could not come to an agreement on how to work together or share the government together. And so ultimately, Fatah took the West Bank and 
Hamas took control over governing the Gaza Strip. In 2005, Israel fully withdrew from the Gaza Strip, leaving it under complete control of Hamas. And Hamas's stated objective was then, is now, to simply remove Israel from the face of the earth. And as I hope you're aware of by now, last Saturday they launched, that is Hamas launched a a barbaric attack, an offensive against Israeli civilians. Hamas calls that attack, they call this campaign that they're waging now the Al-Aqsa Flood. Al-Aqsa is the mosque on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Here's a picture of me and my son Elijah, who just turned 15 last Sunday, another one to learn how to drive, pray for us. That's just six months ago at the Al-Aqsa Mosque there. Hamas has named this attack the Al-Aqsa Flood because they say it's about the Jewish people desecrating that mosque there. In fact, part of what they're referring to is something that happened just three days after we came home from Israel. I think we came home on April the 2nd, and then on April the 5th, Israeli forces stormed the mosque there because according to them, quote, several law-breaking youths and mass agitators fortified the mosque in order to disrupt public order and desecrate the mosque. After many and prolonged attempts to get them out by talking to no avail, police forces were forced to enter the compound in order to get them out with the intentions to allow the Muslim morning prayer and to prevent a violent disturbance. And I want to make this as clear as I can. Hamas is a satanic evil. Israel has no choice but to eradicate those people who hold that ideology from the face of the earth. And I pray for Israel's sake and I pray for for our sake that they do. When you see what's happened to little ones, I hope they find all the millstones in that old place that they can find. That is, if those people don't repent and turn to the Lord. That's what we would hope and pray for first. But their hearts and minds, only God knows, may be too far gone. We stand with Israel. We will stand with Israel. But I think it's also important this morning that you understand and that you realize that there are devoted Christ-following Palestinians who live in Gaza. There's devoted Christ-following Palestinians who live in the West Bank. There's devoted Christ followers who are Jewish by ethnicity who live in Jerusalem and all throughout Israel. We've met them. we formed friendships with them. And there's innocent people. You need to know that today. A lot of innocent people have already died. Good people. Peace-loving people. Christian brothers and sisters are being affected by this war. And it's just starting. 
And we need to pray. We need to pray for all of them. That's one objective I have today as I share this message today is that if, you, if you've been sleeping through this, that you'll wake up. I, I wouldn't encourage you to take this in 24-7. I don't think that's healthy. But I also don't think it's healthy to bury your head in the sand and just numb yourself with distractions and entertainment. I don't think that's of value either. So one thing that I pray happens in our hearts today is that we would be stirred up to pray without ceasing for what's taking place over there right now. 29 Americans have lost their lives there already. Perhaps as many as 15 are being held as hostages there in the Gaza Strip somewhere right now. We need to pray for all those involved. The second thing that I hope to accomplish by talking about this today is that we would be stirred to turn our minds' attention more closely to the Word of God. I know that many of you, you're already doing that. And, and that's why today we're going to do a couple of things. One, we're re-releasing today our sermon series through the book of Revelation that we were preaching back in 2020. I think there's a QR code. We have, yeah, if you want to take a gander at that, that'll link you to that podcast. It's kind of interesting that podcast one was part one of our series in the book of Revelation. So you may want to check that out. You may want to share it with other people. The second thing that we're going to do to help drive us more to God's word in the times that we're living in right now is, as I said earlier, we're going to fast forward today from Matthew 13 to Matthew 24 and 25, where Jesus begins to talk to his disciples about the last days. Now, I heard you turning your pages there earlier. I'm thankful for that, but we're not going to get there today. I'm not even sure we're going to get there next week. There, there's some groundwork that we got to do. You can't just jump from Matthew 13 to 24 without doing some groundwork. And we got a good bit of that work to do before we actually hit Matthew 24. So hang in there with us. But for today, I just want to, for a moment, turn your attention from the New Testament to the Old Testament because it's important this morning that you see what God has been saying about Israel for over 2,500 years. And so I want to take you back to the prophet Zechariah. God is speaking through the prophet of Zechariah some 2,500 years B.C., I should say, almost 5,000 years ago. That's how long ago this was spoken. And what Zechariah does, it's, it's cool, it's interesting, and a little confusing sometimes. Zechariah gives us some snapshots of things that are gonna happen in the future. And he kind of frames those snapshots with this phrase, on that day. You're going to hear that phrase often, on that day, on that day. And they're not pieced together in a chronological sort of way. And so that can make it a little confusing to us Westerners who kind of learn in a linear sort of fashion. But that's not the way it's laid out. And so there's some questions about exactly when is all this going to happen and different people can interpret that different ways. But I want you to see this today, and I think it's important that we see this, and I'm encouraged today as we look to this, because I want to tell you this morning this. In in case you're a bit of a nervous Nelly, 
and, and maybe you've watched maybe more of this or heard more of this than maybe was healthy for you and maybe you're a little nervous and got some anxiety going on about this whole thing. Let me tell you that according to God's word, things are not falling apart. Things are falling together. If you don't take anything out of this room today as a follower of Jesus, I pray you would take that out of here today. He is God. He is on the throne. He is sovereign. He is in control. And things are not coming undone. Things are being woven together according to his perfect plan. Let me show you Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1. This is... The Lord, by the way, in all caps, talking. Who's that? Yahweh. We know him as Jesus in the New Testament. This message concerning the fate of Israel. Man, right now, all the pundits, all the commentators, all the governments, all the military strategists and tacticians, they're trying to figure out where's this headed? What's going to be the fate of Israel? God's word says, this message concerning the fate of Israel came from the Lord, Yahweh. This message is from the Lord, Yahweh, who stretched out the heavens. Be encouraged today. The one who knows the fate of Israel is the one who stretched out the heavens. He's the one who laid the foundations of the earth and formed the human spirit. In these days, I want to encourage you and remind you that is our worldview as Christ followers. And we need to hang on to that worldview. The Jesus that we know, the Jesus that we follow is the Jesus that stretched out the heavens. He is the Jesus that laid the earth's foundations. And he is the Jesus who formed the human spirit. And he's speaking here in verse 2. And he says, I will make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink that makes the nearby nations stagger when they send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judah. On that day, you say, Pastor, when is that day? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm not here to tell you that what's going on right now is specific biblical prophecies being fulfilled. I'm not here to show you, show you some char, uh, charts and the, 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 the left toenail of the golden statue in Daniel and tell you what that, I'm not here to tell you that. What I'm here to tell you is that you're going to see that there are days on the calendar of God where certain things are going to happen and nothing's going to stop those things from happening. He says, on that day, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. Now, when God makes a rock that's immovable, nobody's going to move it. Amen? Don't you believe that? All the nations will gather against it. They'll try to move it, but they'll only hurt themselves. The, the word there in some translations is they'll rupture themselves. They're not going to be able to move it. In fact, it's going to cause hurt and harm to them. Now, I don't know when that day is, but I do know this. Zechariah is writing this after God's people have come back home from Babylonian captivity so I know it's not talking about the Babylonian siege. I know that's not the case. I know it's not talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans because God just said when the nations gather around Jerusalem, they won't be able to move it. Rome moved it. 
They moved every single stone of the temple complex in Jerusalem. So it can't be that. And there wasn't a Jerusalem inhabited by God's people from 70 AD to 1948. So Zechariah, I think, is looking at something that happened no sooner than 1948 because there was no nation of Israel inhabiting, controlling, fighting for Jerusalem until just 75 years ago. Is Zechariah talking about their war of independence in 1948? Is he, I don't know. Is he talking about the Six-Day War that happened in 1967? Is he talking about the Yom Kippur War that happened in 1973? I don't know. Is he talking about the war that's happening right now? I don't know exactly. But I'm telling you today, God's saying there's these days and I'm doing something and nobody's going to stop that. You and I are living at a time when these verses make sense. Think about that. A hundred years ago, there was no Israel. We would have read these verses and gone, I don't really know what that means. But you and I are living at a time now that we read these verses and we're not going, how? What a privilege. That you and I are living at a time right now that we read these verses and we say, how soon? How soon is this happening? What is that day, God, when this is going to happen? And why? Why is this happening now? Because Israel is God's people. And he's not finished with them. He has promises that he will keep. Let's read on, verse 4. Here's another snapshot framed with the phrase, on that day, see it? On that day, says the Lord, I will cause every horse to panic and every rider to lose his nerve. I will watch over the people of Judah, but I will blind all the horses of their enemies. And the clans of Judah will say to themselves, the people of Jerusalem have found strength in the Lord of heaven's armies, their God. Here's another one. Verse 6, on that day, is this the same day? I don't know. Was it the day prior to that? I don't know. Day after that? I don't know. But he says, on that day, I'm going to do something. I'm going to make the clans of Judah like a flame that sets a wood pile ablaze or like a burning torch among the sheaves of grain. What does that mean? They'll burn up all the neighboring nations, right and left, while the people living in Jerusalem will remain secure. Verse 7, the Lord will give victory to the rest of Judah first before Jerusalem so that the people of Jerusalem and the royal line of David will not have greater honor than the rest of Judah. Here's another, verse 8, on that day, the Lord will defend the people of Jerusalem. The weakest among them will be as mighty as King David and the royal descendants will be like God, like the angel of the Lord who goes before them. For on that day, I will begin to destroy the nations that come against Jerusalem. What is all this for? It's for, for what verse 10 says. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David. And on the people of Jerusalem, watch closely, church. By the way, I told you who's speaking here in Isaiah, right? In Zechariah, it's Yahweh. 
Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me, whom they have pierced. This is 500 years before Jesus was born. He says, they will look on me, whom they have pierced, and mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. This is Jesus, 500 years before he was born, talking about Jesus. They will look on me, whom they have pierced, and mourn for him as for an only son. A day is coming. I don't have it on my calendar, but God does. A day is coming when the Jewish people are going to weep in brokenness, in repentance, because they will recognize the one that they pierced. They will recognize the one that they drove nails through his hands and his feet. They will weep, the Bible says. They will come to the realization that they crucified the one and only Son of God that God had sent to save them from their sin. A day is coming. It's not on my calendar. But I don't think it's far from now. A day is coming soon that the inhabitants of Jerusalem are going to know and this is what all this is about. They're going to know with great clarity who Jesus is. But between this day and that day, you just need to know this. There's still yet going to be some hard days. Let's skip over to Zechariah 14. Zechariah says this, watch, for the day of the Lord is coming when your possessions will be plundered right in front of you. I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses looted, and the women raped. Sound familiar? What's happened over the last nine days is like almost a foreshadowing of what Zechariah is talking about. Half the population will be taken into captivity. And the rest will be left among the ruins of the city. But keep reading. Then the Lord, Yahweh, will go out to fight against those nations as he has fought in past times. On that day, I don't have it on my calendar, but he has it on his. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Did you get that? On that day, he will no longer be in heaven. Heaven will have come to earth. He will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives won't be able to hold him. It's going to split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move toward the north, half toward the south. You will flee through this valley, for it will reach across to Azal. Yes, you will flee as you did from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Watch this. Then Yahweh, my God, will come. 
and all his holy ones with him. Do you know who that is? That's me and you. If you're a follower today of the Lord Jesus, this is you and me coming with Jesus when he comes to rule and reign on this earth. Verse six, on that day, I don't know that day, it's not on my calendar, but it's on his calendar. He's never missed an appointment. He's not about to start now. On that day, the sources of light will no longer shine, yet there will be continuous day. Only the Lord knows how this could happen. There'll be no normal day and night, for at evening time, it will still be light. On that day, life-giving waters will flow out from Jerusalem, half toward the Dead Sea, half toward the Mediterranean, flowing continuously in both summer and winter. And the Lord, Yahweh, Jesus, he will be king. He will be king over all the earth. On that day, there will be one Lord, and his name alone will be worshiped. What we're watching right now, ladies and gentlemen, is not a war for land for power what you and I are watching right now is a war for worship it is a war for worship and one day Jesus alone will be worshipped as the king of all kings and the lord of all lords there is an enemy who does not want you to worship him to some today He's throwing missiles to keep them from worshiping him. To you today, he's throwing discouragement. To you today, he's throwing temptation. To you today, he's throwing distractions to try to impede your worship of the one true king. This is what this whole thing is about. It's about worship. It's about honor and glory to the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. So as we close this morning, I want us to close praying. And I want us to close worshiping. And I want us to do that in freedom. My gracious, we take that for granted. I want you to feel free this morning. If your heart is heavy because of missiles being thrown at people right now, or your heart is heavy because of the discouragement that's been thrown at you or people you love, man, you can come get on your knees here at these steps, make it an altar, make your chair an altar. Let's just go before the Lord today. And we want to pray for Israel. We want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in harm's way this morning. We want to pray for those who are being held hostage. We want to pray even for our enemies today. That if their hearts have not yet been given over 
to damnation, that today would be the day of salvation for them. We want to pray for justice today. And we want to pray today that God would fix our eyes on him, on things that are above. Yeah, we'll know about the things that are happening around us, but our focus will be on Jesus. So I want us to pray for these things, and I want us to worship. So I want to invite you to stand. And let's just right now begin to cry out to the Lord. You decide right now for the next 10 minutes where you're going to pray. You decide right now for the next 10 minutes where you're going to worship. Maybe it's right where you are. Maybe it's at this altar. Maybe there's somebody across the way you just want to go stand with. I don't know. But for the next 10 minutes, we're going to pray. We're going to worship the Lord.